Good morning. There are some unfamiliar faces, which I assume my face is somewhat unfamiliar too. And as most of you are aware of, at least as Jacob has said, if you weren't, we, this is our last Sunday in this building, at least indefinitely, until we don't know when. So I am thankful to be part of uh, really this historic work of what God began uh, in Leavenworth and is continuing to do through his people. Um, and so I hope you're excited to see what the Lord uh, would do through us in a new building. <laughs> so We're in Philippians, Philippians 2. I always like to, that's where we are. Let me... Just jump in. It's titled The Good Shepherd. In verses 19 through chapter, uh, well, verse 1 of chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Heavenly Father, God, as we close the second chapter and, and, and turn into chapter three, Lord, God, we, we see that many, many have gone before us to the point where they almost died for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ or as the Apostle Paul, Lord, even gave their lives for the ministry and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or Timothy, who committed his whole life to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. The Philippians, who are dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something that has never stopped, that isn't a tradition, but is the truth above all truths, Lord. And the purpose that the Son of God came to this earth to become human in order to die for sinful humans. And to raise from the dead to conquer death and sin and set us free from its power and from the wrath 
that loomed over us from God Almighty. And your son took that for us. God, may we continue to proclaim the word that was proclaimed to the Philippians. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> As Jacob said, where's Jacob? Jacob's usually right there. It threw me off. Oh, in the back. Okay. Uh, as Jacob said, we're going to try to start precisely at 9.30 uh, next week uh, to be respectful also of the time of, of uh, the Baptist worship service as they push theirs back. So one of the ways we figured we could do that was trying to shorten my sermons, which is honestly difficult for me. And I, and I don't say that's a negative thing. It's just, you know, shooters got to shoot, preachers got to preach. So... Uh, I probably should have not even said this because this has taken an extra two minutes to even say that I need to short my sermons. Um, but uh, I, ju I just want to say that because uh, it's not the first time this has happened, especially if you're new here. Uh, we're going to go two weeks into this passage. Um, today we're just going to focus on what, what this passage says and what the Bible says uh, shepherds, specifically pastors, uh, ministers of the gospel, um, should hold his primary or priority, uh, at least according to the Bible. And then next week, we're going to look at this passage and focus on the grace of God and, and specifically even the mercy in the Apostle Paul's life. Um, so that'll be next week. So, uh, okay. All right. Initially, in chapter 2, if you remember, Paul gave us a, a tremendous theological insight into the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that was meant who Christ is and what Christ has done and the fact that Christ rose from the dead and is exalted as the God-man on the throne of heaven was actually just meant to spur on the Philippians to good works, humility, right, and unity to have unity within their local church. So now in verse 19, as we, we begin today, we, we see the logistics about Paul uh, sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to Philippi. It, it, it may be a, a helpful reminder or to remind ourselves that the book of Philippians, the book that we're preaching from, it's a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi, to those who met in Philippi. And, and, and if we went a bit deeper or more personal, we, we could say that, that this is a letter sent from one friend to his beloved friends, right? It's a letter from one friend to another, the Apostle to the Philippians, yet it is also to be regarded as divine scripture, because it is part of the apostolic teachings, which means the teachings of the apostles in the first century, that the churches were commanded to obey because the apostles were taught by Jesus Christ and commissioned to teach all the churches. Now to someone new, uh, whether it's your first time here or... Uh, just considering this specific passage, it may seem like an odd passage to preach on a Sunday morning. Yet, since the Bible tells us to preach the entire counsel of God, uh, Genesis to maps. Oh, maps not up. 
Genesis to Revelation, we, we believe in expository preaching, which means we preach book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. Therefore, we are called to preach this text too. Furthermore, one thing that Scripture claims about itself, that the Bible claims about itself, is that all of it, all of it is useful in order to grow in the knowledge of Christ and teach us how to be more faithful to Christ. Is, is, I don't know who said this. I've heard Alistair Begg quoted a million times. Uh, I'll paraphrase. He's, it takes the whole counsel of God to make a complete Christian. So, this text has purpose for us too. And, and the, I hope the takeaway from this passage that we can all agree upon today and, and see is that the deep-rooted love of the shepherds in this passage, Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy and Jesus, the good shepherd, that their love for the Philippians and for one another resulted itself in, in teaching about Jesus Christ, in, in, in learning how to follow Jesus Christ, and, and finally in keeping each other accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in other words, we see the, that the love of these men toward the Philippians is rooted in their devotion to the word of God. And hopefully we see that our love must do the same. Especially as shepherds. We cannot love the people of God and starve them from his word. And how will they hear that a holy God became man and died for their sins if we're not the ones who tell them. Don't starve unbelievers from the truth of God's word. Preach it to them and preach it in truth and love. All right. Number one, Timothy was a faithful shepherd. By the way, if you don't know my name, my name is Timothy. So if you get a couple giggles throughout the sermon, uh, it's because uh, when you look at verse 19, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by the news about you. I'm here. I just got here in the end of October. So the Lord has delivered Timothy. That's just a joke. <laughs> it's just a joke. Uh, We'll get into that in a second. He says, For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. Well, we may have the same name but I am not the Timothy of the Bible, and I'm sure that doesn't come as any surprise. On a side note, if you wonder, uh, a lot of people say, do you go by Timothy or do you go by Tim? And I always say, I do go by Timothy, and the reason why is because whenever I was truly saved by the grace of God, I, I thought of Tim as the old me, the old sinful me, 
who was rebellious toward God, and the Timothy that I saw in the New Testament, uh, in, in the Bible, he was the person that I wanted to aspire to be. So that's actually when I started to go by the name Timothy. But I didn't just go off the deep end and say I'm the actual Timothy. So uh, I, I know we're supposed to strive to be like Christ. So, so let me just qualify the statement of wanting to be like Timothy. My, my heart for pastoring, my heart for preaching, my heart for shepherding. I wanted, I wanted to leave a legacy of faithfulness to Christ like Timothy in the Bible did. And his legacy is all over Pauline letters. They're all over Paul's letters. I mean, you know, just read one. It's hard to even find one that, that Paul doesn't talk about Timothy, which uh, is, is so eloquently uh, shown by a meme I found months back. Uh, and just for the record, I'm not into props or photos or memes or pictures or things like that. But I really found this is a great summarization of Pauline letters. Well, actually, someone else did, and I just wanted to show you. So the general outline of one of Paul's letters is grace. I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. And Timothy says hi. So you can see from this outline that Timothy shows up a lot. While, while it's only speculation... I, I think Paul writes about him so much because he loved him so much. He loved Timothy. And just, just walk through uh, some of the passages with his name and, and even just begin with how Paul addresses Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 2. He says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now that matches up with what he said. He served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. He writes to Timothy, my true son in the faith, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you. The certainty that Timothy was reborn by the Spirit of God and loved Jesus Christ with his whole heart is what led to the commissioning of, uh, by Paul to him he says, therefore, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. <laughs> Command. Teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set believers an example in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. That's a serious commission and charge by the Apostle Paul to his dear friend Timothy. And because... 
Timothy was, he was faithful to that calling, to what he was called to do, he did. And therefore, Paul sent him to, to help shepherd churches all over the known world in the first century A.D. And Timothy, First uh, Timothy 1, Paul tells Timothy, hey, remain in Ephesus and command certain people not to teach false doctrines. He was in Ephesus. In 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 17, Paul says, this is why I sent you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul wasn't saying just tell them to be like me or tell them to be like you, Timothy. Teach them the ways of Jesus Christ. Where? Just in Philippi? Just in Corinth? Just in Ephesus? No, in every church. And then he says to Corinth, in, verse, in chapter 16, and when Timothy gets there, see that you put him at ease, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, Paul says, we sent you Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Christianity is founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. We begin there, and then we grow in our faith, is what he says to the Thess- Thessalonians. And, and, and now in today's passage, Paul writes to Philippi. says, hey, I'm sending you Timothy. I want to send Timothy to you. I have no one else like him. He's, who, who, who genuinely cares about your interest. They all, all seek their own interest, but not Timothy. Right? So not, not, not only does Paul love Timothy, Paul loves the church of Philippi. He loves the local church there. In fact, he loves all local churches. And, and we see that he loves the church in Philippi because it's the choice to send Timothy that really demonstrates Paul's love for the Philippians. Now think about who they're getting in Timothy from everything we just read and everything Paul has said to the other churches. They're getting the cream of the crop. They're getting the very best that Paul had to offer. I mean, for, for goodness sake, think, think about the connection in the beginning of chapter 2 of Philippians. Oh, what did Paul tell Philippi? He said, look, consider the interests of others, right? Consider others more important than yourselves. And then in order to truly care about others more than yourself, you need to what? Have the humility of Christ. Consider others' interests. Consider others more important than yourself. And now a few verses later, in chapter 2, Paul says, hey, Timothy, the one I'm sending, he has that. He is that type of man. He has the mindset of Christ. The humility, he cares, he genuinely cares about you. Now, we should ask ourselves, it's, it's clear he genuinely cares about their interest, but what specific interest does Timothy have in mind? What interest of the Philippians does Timothy have in mind? Primarily, that they would hold firm 
to the word of God. That they would establish their faith in Christ and they would hold fast to that until his return. Timothy's main goal for visiting Philippi was simple. Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to encourage me about you. Which, Which means Timothy's being sent to make sure you are holding on to my teachings and you're holding on to the other apostles' teachings. That's it. That's why Timothy's coming, to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so he said, Timothy, hey, look, when you go to Philippi, preach the word. Point people to Christ and teach them to observe everything that Christ taught. Make sure they're holding on to the proper teachings of Christ because there will be wolves. And correct them. Protect them from the wolves, Timothy. You know, it's, when, you, when, you, when you look at what an actual shepherd does, which is like a physical shepherd with actual sheep, which is way out of my pay grade or knowledge, but a quick Google search, says that a shepherd tends to the flock, cares for the flock of his sheep. He feeds his sheep, and he protects his sheep. That's what a shepherd does. And Timothy, when you go there, these aren't your sheep. These sheep belong to Jesus Christ. Feed them. Watch over them. Protect them. I mean, was Timothy a great preacher? Did he have a great personality? Who knows? I don't know. All we know for certain, at least from Scripture, is that Timothy was a faithful shepherd to God's people. He was faithful to preach God's word. And, 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 and here's... Here's something, you know, a man is not just qualified to preach God's word because he's good at preaching or public speaking. And we see in verse 22, Paul says, you know his proven character. There is a qualification of preaching. It is the ability to teach. But the majority of qualifications is the character of the man who's preaching. And we can't dismiss that all because someone's good at communicating or a good orator. Timothy's life matched his preaching. That's the standard we should hold. Preachers too. I mean, may we as the church of Jesus Christ never settle for less. I mean, not only were the Philippians precious in the sight of Paul and and Epaphroditus and, and in the sight of Timothy, ultimately the Philippians were precious in the sight of God. And, and they are ultimate, the value of the Philippians is at the cost of Christ's blood. That's how much they're worth. And loved ones, so are you. That's how much you're worth to God. The cost of the Son's precious blood. Epaphroditus. That's a hard word to say. His name's hard to say. I was just going to go with Epi, but it sounded too weird. So I'm just trying to enunciate. He was a faithful shepherd too. Verses 25 through 30. But I considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. 
since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick, he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Who was Epaphroditus? We don't get as much about him in the New Testament as we get about Timothy. At least from verse 25, it says, look, he's another faithful shepherd. He's a, he's a faithful minister of the gospel and a close friend of Paul. And verse 26 says that, that he must also have an intimate relationship with the Philippians because they were distressed after hearing that he got so sick from, after visiting them. And, and Paul affirms their grief in return and says, look, I know you're deeply concerned about his condition. Therefore, I'm sending him back. And I'm sending him back with this letter. Right? Epaphroditus is delivering this, this, uh, the letter that we know as the book of Philippians. Now, how about that legacy? Right? Epaphroditus is only mentioned a few times in the entire Bible right here and then in Philippians 4. That's it. And yet after today, not that it's the first time ever, but what will he be remembered for? What is Epaphroditus remembered for? His love for the Philippian church, which resulted in him delivering this beloved letter that we hold dear is Holy Scripture. It's kind of a short point on Epaphroditus because all three men in this passage, the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, we, we, we see that with all of them, their love for God's people resulted in the ministry or a ministry centered around God's word. That's the focus we're going into. Probably would have been good to start a point three. Loving God's people resulted in Paul writing this letter. Loving God's people resulted in Epaphroditus delivering this letter. And loving God's people resulted in Timothy checking in with the Philippian church to see if they were faithfully obeying the letter. That's what he was being sent for. It's important to make clear that the ministry of God's word to God's people was never, en was never intended to end with the apostles or in the church of Philippi. The ministry of God's word continues to this day. E e even when the apostles and, and Timothy and Epaphroditus were not directly involved any longer, right? that time had come and gone. The opening lines from this letter to the Philippians says, look, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, with the elders, with the overseers. Who are they? They're the main shepherds watching over the spiritual health of the Philippian church. And what do you think those overseers, those elders the leaders of the church of Philippi would have used as their primary source to shepherd their people with. 
It's the, it's the same thing we use, right? The, the same thing that we, the letter Paul wrote to the Philippians. Their, their, their elders would have, would, have, would have held it up, right? And said, loved ones, this is what God desires for our church in Philippi. And so we, 2,000 years later, at Cornerstone in Leavenworth, no matter what building we meet in, proclaimed, loved ones, this is what God desires for our church. I realize it may be harder to find than ever, but faithful preaching and teaching from the Bible is the greatest need and the greatest indicator of the health of a church. We can be certain, you can be certain, where the authority and reverence for the word of God has vanished. So has the spirit of God. Which means what? It means if we want to see the spirit of God do a great work in the people of God, then we have to give our whole heart to the word of God. If you're familiar with the news, I know this past week or so, week and a half, there's talks of revival going all over the place, right? And while I don't uh, recommend talking on social media and giving your opinion, I did. I did. And all, all of, very self-contradictory statement right there. But all I said is, look, this is a good time to apply Matthew 7. Before we judge what's going on there, if it's a true revival or not, if true repentance is happening or not, first let us look at the log in our own eye. Let us look at our own heart and say, is there true repentance in my own heart before I try to decide if true repentance is taking place across the nation? But I can say this with certainty. If the word of God is not being proclaimed, and the Spirit of God is not active in the people to transform hearts, to call them out of sin, and to call them to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord, then a revival is not truly taking place. Because only when the wicked and sinful turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ that is a work that can only be done by the Spirit of God, and it comes through the preaching of the Word of God. That is how we can know for certain if revivals are truly taking place. The, let's narrow back in on the local church. The, 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 the most revealing indicator of a thriving church is not how many programs they have, Right? It's not how much money they have or even how many people they have. The most accurate gauge to indicate if a congregation is truly flourishing is how many people they have in that congregation to submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they do that by faithfully submitting themselves to the Holy Scriptures. 
That's the gauge. Ten men who are alive to Christ are infinitely worth more than a thousand who are dead. If we want men to lead us such as Paul, such as Timothy, such as Epaphroditus, I mean, what a, what a great conference that would have been. That's an all-star lineup. I would have signed up. If we want men to lead us such as that, then it is plain as day from this passage that the uncompromising standard for faithful shepherds outside of character qualifications is a man who gives his life to guide the sheep to the word of God so that they may hear the voice of the good shepherd. Loved ones, the Bible is not our voice, though we proclaim it. The Bible is the voice of the living God. That is the voice of the good shepherd. Which is a good segue into our final point. I, Vodibaka may have said this. I'm really bad on my quotes today on who said what. But it said, hey, do you want to hear God's voice? You want to hear God speak to you out loud? Open your Bible and read out loud, and you will hear the voice of God. I butchered that, but you get the point. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus said, in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. <laughs> That's us. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock, one shepherd. Ah, May, the, may, may he unite his church in unity. The Jews were gathered there around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense, Jesus? Look, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says the word of God is the voice of God so that the people of God will know it's me who is speaking to them. They hear my voice. They know it's me. That implication, then if the word of God is not proclaimed, the voice of God will go silent among his people. I think one of the most troubling things about Christianity today is that if the word of God is truly the voice of Christ, the voice of God, why are so many people who claim to be his sheep not following the shepherd's voice? Could it be they've been so deprived of God's word they still don't know how to determine 
if it's the voice or not of the good shepherd. Or even worse. And Jesus says, my sheep know me. They know my voice. And therefore, they follow me. Which leads me to think, if, if, if they don't follow him, they don't know his voice, is there any other implication than they don't do it because they still don't know him? Maybe that's too sobering a thought for a Sunday morning. This is one thing we cannot afford to get wrong, loved ones. Our eternity depends on it. We should leave with hope. Jesus doesn't leave us without hope. The good shepherd does not leave us without hope. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Loved one, if you're his sheep, if you belong to him, take heart in knowing that the love of God was demonstrated to us by the Son of God giving his life for ours. And think back to the moment when, when you first heard Jesus say, follow me. That, that desperate moment that, that he, he, he showed you that you were a sinner in need of a savior. And you continued to follow him and then he took you to the cross where he was pierced for your transgressions. And then he took you a bit further and convinced you that the tomb he was buried in is empty. Loved ones, praise him for his glorious grace which, which called out to us while we were lying dead in the valley of dry bones. That's an Ezekiel 37 reference in case I just freaked anybody out with the valley of dry bones thing. See? The prophet says, the hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Were you dead in your sin, in desperate need? And the Lord said, live, and now you're alive in Christ? I said, sovereign Lord, you, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones, to these men and women who are dead in their sin." I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord, the giver of life. The dead 
in Ezekiel 37 recognize the voice of the Lord. They know the, the voice of the Good Shepherd. And those who hear Him follow Him and, and receive eternal life. Maybe you've never believed that before. Maybe for the first time this morning, you're beginning to hear what you might consider is His voice. You might be hearing His voice calling out to you. And if you hear Him, the Word of God says, do not harden your heart. For today is the day of salvation. And next comes judgment. And therefore, by faith, enter through the gate of the Good Shepherd. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, mold us, shape us, transform us. Don't let us fixate. that are far from us, if you're doing a work in their heart, God, may we be focused on our own hearts and our own congregation, Lord. And, and be, be led to be called to follow your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. And take that life alter, eternal life-altering commitment serious, Lord. God, call out to us by your voice. Lead us by your spirit. And may we go out to the valley of dry bones that is still among us and proclaim the word of Christ. And we ask that you would invite more sheep through the gate of your son. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.